The Giants are Hollywood-bound to try and win their first game of the season. We break down what needs to change for Big Blue to stop the losing and preview their matchup against the Rams. We will also chat with my former teammate, three-time Pro Bowler, Super Bowl champion center, and NFL Network analyst, Sean O'Hara. It's time for Blue Rush from the New York Post. Welcome back to Blue Rush, our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google. But if you do use Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating and write in a nice review. Joining the show today is a Super Bowl champion Giants center. You see him on NFL Network, looking slim, Sean O'Hara. But first, here they are, your host, of the Blue Rush Podcast, it's two-time Super Bowl champion Giants kicker, Lawrence Tynes, and New York Giants beat writer for the New York Post, Paul Schwartz. Tynesy, Paulie, take it away, fellas. Paul, how are you? Lawrence, I'm uh, doing okay. Week four ready. And um, I'm just wondering, my co-host on this podcast, uh, two-time Super Bowl champion, you probably weren't last in a lot of things, right? Is that is that, is that correct? That's true. You're right. You're not a last place guy, you know, finished no, last in, in things. Okay. Well, uh, there's only one last, right? The Giants are last in the NFL in rushing. This yeah. is not, not a good thing, right? I mean, you can be in the middle of the pack. You can be top 10. You can be 23rd, or you can be 32. Last is 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 not good. What do you see from this running game? And I think I might have a solution who wears number eight. Uh, what do you think of that? Yeah, well, I think you're talking about Daniel Jones. Yeah. You know, listen, we, we saw a lot of positive things last week. We didn't see enough of it, but I think getting him moving more out of the pocket and some more RPO type stuff, I think uh, it will open up some lanes, if you will, because there's been too, too few lanes for these running backs. Uh, you know, what are we averaging? 2.7 a carry? Like you mentioned, it's last in the NFL. Now, Daniel Jones is averaging 7.7 yards a carry. Now, we know quarterbacks are ranked a little differently here, right? They're not taking a ball off tackle 25 yeah. times a game. And I also don't think that, you know, a steady diet of, of you know, misdirection having Daniel Jones take it around the left side for 10, 12 yards. It's great to pick up a first down. It's a tremendous, you know, we went through 16 years where Eli just didn't do that. We love Eli. He could do a lot of great things. That is one thing that was not in his physical framework. He didn't do rubbish. Rubbish. Yes, it was. It was uh, uh, seeing him try to run 15, 18 yards would have been rubbish. Yeah, Uh, it would have taken it would have been a speed dial. Daniel Jones is a fast guy, but I don't think that's the framework of the offense. But Daniel Jones leads his team in rushing by a lot. Okay, He's got 92 rushing yards. The rest of the team has 78. Okay, That is not good. Now, Jerry Schlepinski, the uh, quarterback's coach, he was asked about this this week. And he said, well, yeah, he certainly has ability to do this. He does a nice job of it. He's a good runner. He's fast. He does a good job with the ball when he's out in space. And it's something we're encouraged about. So it sounds like they want to do more of this. Lawrence, when you do more of this with a quarterback, what happens? High risk, high reward. Got to be careful. Yeah, you certainly got to be, be careful with them because you got nobody wants to see the Colt McCoy exper- experiment. So uh, we got to be careful with them. But still, I you have to use his abilities. I mean, if we're trying to win football games, you got to use his skill set. His skill set is running the football to some degree. Um, he is a pocket passer with some mobility. I think of Aaron Rodgers, Steve Young, Russell Wilson, those guys that can create with their feet. 
but we got to be careful with them. But I think more, we need more of it. We got to see more. We got to help these runners out. We got to create more lanes. And obviously him running is going to create these, these edge rushers using more discipline and not just, you know, bull rushing him and, and while he's in the pocket. So I think it'll open some things up if we use it more. And of course, these coaches aren't going to say a lot, right? To the media, they don't want to give away too much. People read into the tea yeah. leaves. Unfortunately, yes. So maybe he's just being, you know, a little bit uh, keeping everything close to the vest with you guys. But I think you'd be a fool not to use him more in the running game. They'll use him by just, you know, and, but the one thing is he, he fumbles the ball when he carries the ball sometimes. So they got to be careful. Yeah. That's all. The main thing is availability. Stay in the game but they have to do it. It's desperate times. Now, when you are going into these games, right, when you were a player, when you were a kicker for the Giants for all those years, at some point, there's a guy out there and you just can't wait to see, right? It's a business. It's a, it's a, your profession, but there's greatness out there, right? You don't want him to wreck you, but there's greatness. I mean, do you get that feeling when you look at Aaron Donald? He is different, yeah. right? When they show him, when they put that, that lens on him and they show him four, five, six rushes. There's a lot of great guys in the league. He just looks different. What is different about him? Yeah, every time I'm on social media on Sunday, I can guarantee you someone has posted a highlight or a clip from one of his plays where he's ragdolling 330-pound linemen. He is a special player. He is, to me, the best defensive player in pro football. He presents a lot of challenges. You know, listen, they're going to have their hands full with him. But listen, you can, you know, make plays go away from him. You don't obviously don't want to go at him, but I think there's ways to counteract Aaron Donald's superiority of the defensive line because we have a young offensive line. So we'll see what the challenges are. I think moving Daniel Jones would be a great idea, getting him moving uh, away from don't let him sit in the pocket because get him moving um, away from 99. Yeah. When 99 is run run the other way, right? Uh there's a pretty good chance by halftime, uh, one of those highlights is gonna pop up on my Twitter feed. So I don't want to see that yeah and and he goes up and down the line too they're doing more of that with donald where he'll they said he'll just probe for where he thinks the weakness is so um the one problem with the giants is uh, and i wrote about this in the new york post maybe they can confuse donald and make him dizzy because he'll be looking so many places to try to exploit a weakness that he yeah. he'll forget where to line up he'll say let me go over to him. <laughs> let me go over gate let me try Zeitler. Let me try Hernandez. Let me try the rookie over there, Thomas. And then all of a sudden, maybe he jumps offside because he's salivating to try to get over the line so quickly. No, he is special. Now, I wanted to bring up one thing, which I think I think you'll have a unique perspective on this as far as personal situations on the field. I'm sure you've had some of them. You've seen some of them with former teammates, with teammates now. There's something interesting going on here. You have Golden Tate, the Giants wide receiver, you have Rams cornerback Jalen Ramsey, who might be the best cornerback in the league. He's up there in the top two or three. And it's a bizarre story. We don't have to get into all the gory details, but Golden Tate's sister had a relationship with Jalen Ramsey. Uh, they have children together. And then he left her. Okay. He left her. And Golden Tate did not like that at all. And he was actually asked about this by the New York Post last year and said, I'm not happy at all with the disrespect that he's shown towards my sister and the things he's done in the past, but I don't want to get into it too much. So they might line up against each other, what, 20, 25 times in this game? You know, oh, yeah. What goes through a guy's head when you have that just boiling inside you? Well, we'll see. Both those guys kind of like to trash talk and mix it up. Obviously, Jalen Ramsey's one of the best. Uh, Golden Tate is a physical receiver, right? We can call him that. He he likes to mix it up, and you know he is a pretty physical guy. He did say, you're going to have to see me. So Jalen Ramsey, you're going to have to see Golden Tate on Sunday. So 
that's a matchup we'll look forward to. I'm sure the the TV crews will kind of follow it. Obviously, it's going to be a storyline this week. So listen, I think it's good, but obviously you don't want to let your emotions get a hold of you and get personal fouls or get kicked out of the football game. So I think maybe that's something Joe Judge is probably talking to Golden Tate about this week. Hey, Golden, we're trying to win a football game. We don't need any 15-yard penalties. We don't need you to get kicked out of the football game. But Listen, it's something to look forward to for Sunday, for sure. I mean, you know, somebody else's misery is our enjoyment, right? And uh, Yeah, exactly. Look, let's face it, though. Jalen Ramsey against Golden Tate is not exactly two heavyweight no. fighters there. So let, let's, um, yeah. you know, Jalen Ramsey's one of the best in the league. This is a long flight, Lawrence, right? This is the longest flight. Well, the Giants oh, do yeah. have to go to um, Seattle later this year. Giants haven't played in L.A. since 1994, okay? Mm. That's a long time ago. Right. Okay. How old were you in 1994? I was uh, 16. I was in my first year covering the Giants in 1994. Okay. And, and um, holy cow. What was that you said? You look very young, right? You look much nope. younger. Yeah. You look, you yeah. look great. You've aged, you've aged like a fine wine. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. Like vinegar. Right. What does that do to a team? I mean, you know, they keep on saying, you know, you always hear the coaches say, well, we told the guys they have to hydrate. I always think, man, you get on a six hour flight. Just how much water and Gatorade, whatever can you drink? Is is it is it really play a factor? You know, part of your responsibilities as a pro athlete are just that. It sounds so juvenile, but hydration is so important when flying in general. But when you're a professional athlete going to play a professional football game and you're flying six hours, you know, we did it a, a bunch of times late in my career with the Giants. We went to San Francisco, remember, middle of the season, then we turned around and, and with Tom Coughlin, you left on Saturday at noon. Didn't matter. You left at noon, three hour time change. You always try to get there around three o'clock at the short and sweet you know, right short, short and sweet, sweet. Yep. and you know i know a lot of teams even when i was in kansas city we played the chargers we would leave on on friday or yeah we'd leave two days before you know some coaches like to do that but obviously tom was not one of those guys it's a big deal um you have to hydrate there's plenty of fluids on the plane and when you get off the plane you know i typically would go for a walk a lot of guys would kind of walk around the city or get your legs moving. And then, you know, you get up and you go play a football game, but it's, it's certainly important to hydrate. Uh, I don't think going West is as bad as coming East because you do gain three hours, but the problem is you just wake up so damn early. That's what I hated. Yeah. You're out of body clock. Your body clock doesn't matter if you're tired, you wake up, you know, four or five in the morning over there and you can't go back to sleep. So it's a tough trip uh, for sure. Well, it'll be interesting to see how much um, Devonta Freeman plays this week. Right? What do you get? Five five carries last week. Really, completely just getting his feet wet. Think he can in week number two? He can he can do something for this offense. He looked okay in yeah. a couple of carries. You couldn't really tell much. Yeah, I would like to see more of him this week, and I think we will. It'll be important on a lot of fronts for him to get going and get this running game going. Listen, I just want to see something that resembles offensive football. And I think I speak for all Giants fans. I just want to see some drives that end in points. I mean, I just want to see something, a 10 play drive, an eight play drive. I just want to see offensive football. Yeah. Well, it's been offensive football, but it, it's, it's, a, it's, <laughs> do you been, have any picks? What's your pick for this game? Paul? Yeah, what you do know you think? What? I mean, look, it's a long trip. It is a good team. The Rams are good. I mean, they're averaging what 30 points a game. Uh, they are, you know, they, they yeah. just lost a close one to Buffalo. So they're a good team. I can't see the Giants holding them under 30 points. I'm looking like at a 31. 17, maybe a late score. I I just, I can't see it. Stranger things have happened, but not many. So 17, we're going to score 17. That's where I got them. I got 27, 17. You know, I think they'll play better, but again, the Rams are too much. They're, they're, they're kind of a, a veteran team. They've been around and they're too explosive on offense. So 
27-17 for me, Rams. Sean McVay is, is you know, we just saw Kyle Shanahan who can operate an offense. Sean McVay is like the same good. guy. Yep, yep, pretty good. We got the edge of 17 across the board. I will go 34-17, and I'll, you know, when the first half is over, I'll be playing Hollywood swinging up until then, but it becomes a blowout, the 12-and-a-half-point spread. Wouldn't put a dollar on it, but I will take the uh, Rams at 12-and-a-half. <laughs> uh, coming up next, it's about that time. It is Tyne's time. All right, here goes Tynes again from 47 yards to kick the Giants to the Super Bowl. Snap is good. Kick on its way. Angle Brand, does it have the distance? It is good. Lawrence Tynes has kicked the Giants to the Super Bowl after missing at the end of regulation. And Tynes runs into the tunnel two out right. And the New York Giants are going to Super Bowl 42 in overtime. They beat the Packers 23-20. Low snap. The kick is good, and the Giants are going back to the Super Bowl. And that was Bob Pop of Giants Radio and Joe Buck of Fox Sports on the calls as Lawrence Tynes kicked the Giants to Super Bowl 42 and Super Bowl 46. Those calls from the NFC Championship games in 2008 in Green Bay and 2012 in San Francisco. And it's now time for this edition of Tynes Time where Lawrence Tynes tells a story from his playing days. Take it away, LT. So this edition of Tynes Time, I appropriately named the Matt Dodge Experiment. Now, a lot of times people hear that name, and obviously we think of the pun against the Eagles, but what I wanted to talk about is Matt Dodge almost got me cut. So Matt Dodge was a seventh-round draft pick. And listen, I love Matt Dodge. He's a great kid, I thought, in practice. And, and I think Paul would agree with me. One of the strongest legs I've ever seen in pro football to this day. He was so uberly talented that I thought, no way in hell this kid's not going to make it. Couldn't really transform it over to game day. And obviously, we all know what happened in, in the Philadelphia game. So after about week four, I was three for six. And Coach Coughlin called me into his office, which is never a good thing. And I go up to his office and he's talking to me about my field goal percentage. And I said, Coach, you drafted a kid in the seventh round who's never held and you said he's my holder. So I said, there's going to be some lumps. We're going to have to take some lumps here. He goes, no, we're not taking any lumps. And I said, really? I said, can I make a change? Can I pick hand pick my holder? And fortunately for us, we had Sage Rosenfels who had held a little bit for Chris Brown down in Houston. And so I go down and talk to Sage and I said, Hey Sage, I didn't even tell him I wanted him to be my holder. And I said, look, you're my holder. And he goes, you know, so we work it out. And fortunately for Sage Ros Rosenfels, he saved my job for the most part because Matt Dodge was so nervy on game day. When he looked back at me before each kick, I got nervous because he looked so nervous. So he made me nervous. And I was like, is this kid going to catch the ball? So ultimately we moved to Sage. I think we made like 18 or 19 in a row. We just had a phenomenal last 12 games. Sage was great. And we moved on. Then unfortunately, you know, Matt hits that punt against the Eagles and not going to go into it. The miracle at the new Meadowlands. We all know what happened. Matt Dodge is a great kid, but I was not going to lose my job because of Matt Dodge. Joining Blue Rush next is another one of Lawrence Tyne's former teammates that won a Super Bowl title in 2008 in Super Bowl 42 over the previously undefeated Patriots. He was the center on that offensive line that protected mighty number 10. He made three Pro Bowls in three straight years with the Giants from 2008 
to 2010 and played for Big Blue for seven seasons. He knew New Jersey very well as a Rutgers Scarlet Knights grad. He's got plenty of Irish bars named after his last name. He's also the head of the Sean O'Hara Foundation. You can see the slim fit version of him on NFL Network. It's number 60, Sean O'Hara. Sean, Jake Brown, Lauren Sines, Paul Schwartz. How you doing, man? Gentlemen, uh, top of the evening to you fine lads. Thank you for having me on. And uh, yes, uh, O'Hara's Irish Stout is alive and well. Have you got like hit up by bars to be named after you? I mean, you should have your own considering I've definitely been had a few pints at a few O'Hara's over the years. Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I've had a couple of uh, opportunities to uh, frequent some establishments and um, hydrate accordingly. You know, I, I think um, I, I've tried my hand in some investments in bars, and they, they never seem to work out very well. Cash businesses with a bunch of Irish people and a bunch of liquor, just, you know what, the numbers never seem to add up. So uh, I steer clear <laughs> of that. But, yeah, I'm, uh, for anybody that's been in New York City, if, if, if you uh, haven't been to McSorley's or you haven't been to O'Hara's, which is down – Actually, O'Hara's is, is down um, right on Ground Zero. It's right there, right there by the Freedom Tower. SNY Studios is actually in one of the towers. Um, that's where we filmed Good Morning Football. So every time I would go in there at 5:30 in the morning, you know, there'd be a couple of people crawling out of there. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you probably haven't had many beers lately because you you're looking slim, man. What what is the Sean O'Hara diet? Is it like a TB12 method? Like what's going on? Yeah, it's this new method. It's called Slim Slow. Um, you know, everybody wants to swim fast, <laughs> and I'm I'm on the Slim Slow diet. Um, it's uh, I don't eat carbs; I just drink them. But uh, the good news is, Michelob Ultra ha- has made it easy on us. You can drink ten of them, and it's like eating one piece of bread. So it's great. Sean, it's Paul. How are you? Hi, Paul. Doing well, man. How are you? Good. I need you to help me with something here, okay? Okay. You got to need a light bulb change. I know you're not that handy. <laughs> I got I got you covered, Paul. <laughs> I hire people to change the light bulbs, Sean. I hire them. See, you are a smart man. Yep, I hire them. I don't get up on those uh, those uh, pedestals there. Can a guy who was undrafted, okay, played uh, tackle in college, goes to the NFL, plays a little guard, and then they say, let's move him to center. Okay, that sounds a little bit like you. It sounds a lot like Nick Gates. Um, how did you do it, and what do you see from the giant center, Nick Gates, who made a, uh, is trying to make a very similar conversion that you did? Yeah, it's a great comparison. And to be honest with you, I do see a, a lot of myself and Nick Gates. Obviously, you just laid down the, the biography of both of our careers and how that's transitioned. Um, I knew at co- in college that I wasn't big enough to play left tackle at the next level. And I knew if I was going to have any kind of career, I was going to have to kick inside. You know, I think the, the luxury that, that I had was that I, I didn't, you know, I, I didn't have to play right away when I first went to Cleveland as an undrafted free agent. Thankfully, I was a long snapper. And that, that to me, is the only reason why I even made that team, because I had a little special teams feather in my cap. But it took me a while to really get confident in playing center on the NFL level and making sure that I knew what defenses were trying to do to us. The physical stuff, you know, look, you pick that up pretty quick and, and you can, you know, you're going to get stronger and you're going to get better technique even as the season goes along. But the biggest challenge for me moving into center was, okay, I've got to be on the same page as the quarterback. I have to know everything the quarterback knows because I we don't have time to sit here and have a discussion. I've got to know exactly what he's seeing, why he's seeing it that way, why he's calling it that way, and 
we have to act as one and it has to be a symbiotic relationship. So that was the biggest challenge. And, and I think that's what Nick Gates is faced with right now. Um, you know, I watched him, you know, I, I remember Pat Shermer raved about him. They really liked him. And he was kind of one of those guys where it's like, wow, everybody talks good about him. All right, let's see what can he can do. He ended up making a couple starts and, and playing a tackle. And you know what? Say He battled his butt off. And, and the guy, he fights to the whistle. Um, he's a scrappy guy. He's tough. I knew he was not a, destined to be a tackle. He's just not big enough, doesn't have the range, and you know, that's not his, his style of play. But moving him into center, I, I think he really can He can really grow. You know, I, I To be honest with you, in training camp watching him, Spencer Pulley is the best, their best center. But Nick Gates has the best upside. And also, let's be honest, it's a business. He's cheaper. So, um, you know, if you can groom him and he could be, if he and Spencer Pulley are, are on the same level, you start Nick Gates because he could be your center for the next couple of years. So um, that makes sense. And plus, you want that relationship with Daniel Jones to grow and you want the benefit of having year two and year three together. The thing that Nick Gates is just learning and, you know, you want to talk about getting thrown into the wolves. How about you You start in the NFL your first time as center. You got no preseason games. You're playing the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday night, and a guy named Tyson Alu-Alu, who's got this Polynesian power that you've never seen before, and he's ragdolling you. And, and this, by the way, the Steelers, Keith Butler, the defensive coordinator, he's older than dirt. He was my linebacker coach when I played for the Cleveland Browns. So they were throwing the kitchen sink at both he and Daniel Jones from a blitz standpoint. So, look, he saw everything in that first game. And, you know, I mentioned the physical aspect of it. That's tough. But the mental side of it, you know, look, it was obvious that it was his first start. And, and that was a baptism by fire right there. But I've seen him get better. Um, at center, the toughest thing is got, people are on you right now. And he's just got to work on, on quicker hands. He's got to work on on flipping his hips a little bit more and some of his reach blocks. And, and the biggest thing that I see right now, and it's not just with Nick Gates, but with the Giants offensive line, they're really struggling to pass off twists. And that is to be expected when you are starting three new starters, two, two new tackles, a new center, and these five guys have now played three games together. So uh, that chemistry is going to take some time. Sean, Bell T, hey, thanks for coming on. I, I want to stay on this offensive line because we're all on social media. You were at training camp. You got to see this group pretty much every day at camp, there's panic, right? Everyone's saying it's the offensive line, it's the offensive line's fault. What are you seeing in terms of a development from the very beginning of camp to now? Is there something to that? Are you panicking? Do you think this is the right starting five? I do. Uh, I think it, it is the right starting five. And, you know, I mean, at this point, it's, it is their best five offensive linemen. I, I think, that, to me, there's no panic. I felt the same way, to be honest with you. The Monday night football game, you know, I watched it with everybody else, and I said, man, the offensive line didn't play well. And then I went back and watched the film, and guess what? The offensive line played better than I thought against the Steelers, specifically Andrew Thomas. You know, I, I watched that game, and I said, man, Bud Dupree is all over the place. He's unblockable. And then I watched third downs. I watched Andrew Thomas making his first start as a rookie. And I watched him you know, locking out Bud Dupree. I, I saw some great pass sets, some great punches, and I'm saying, man, okay, this kid's got some skills. This, this looks good. This is what I saw in college. It has transferred. And I've seen Andrew Thomas grow. So uh, I'm very encouraged with Andrew Thomas. I still think that he was the best tackle in that draft coming out. And, and I just watched Jedrick Wills um, this morning. And, you know, I think he's done a great job moving over to left tackle. But um, Andrew Thomas is, is very encouraged. I'm encouraged by this group because I know what it's like to start out in that capacity. People forget, LT, you know, look, I, I know people love talking about our offensive line uh, from, from the heyday, from 07 and 08 and 09, 010, when we were kicking ass and taking names. Well, guess what? That started in 04. And people forget that in 2004, when I came to the Giants, Paul, you remember this, uh, Tom Coughlin, that was his first year. 
I came in, and I'll never forget, you know, the, one of the first questions Paul Schwartz asked me is, you know, this is the worst offensive line in the league. Joe Theismann said so on Monday Night Football or, you know, Saturday Night Football, whenever their last primetime game was. That was the moniker that we inherited from the previous O-line, previous regime. And our mission was we are not going to be the weak link. They're not going to be saying that about us after this year. And, look, we, we took our lumps in 2004, you know, but in 2005, we ended up winning the division, going 11-5, and we started to build momentum and get better. And, you know, by the time 2006 rolled around, there wasn't a defense that we weren't ready for, and we had recall ability because we had been together for so long that we could go into a game and say, hey, you know what? We thought they were going to line up in this defensive front when we lined up in this formation, and they're not. They're, they're, they're running a totally different front than we they showed on film. So here's how we have to block it. Remember how we did it last year in this game? Yes. Okay, that's how we're going to do it. This offensive line doesn't have that luxury. Justin Garrett doesn't have – the luxury of saying, do you remember last year how we did it? No, because I was in Dallas, and none of you were here. We were not here. So they, they don't have that inventory. I think, you know, when I look at this offensive line down the line, like Cam Fleming is, is battling his butt off. And, you know, he's not as talented as Andrew Thomas, but I love the way that guy is just fighting with every ounce in him to keep guys off of Daniel Jones. You know, he's I think when he signed with the Giants, he thought he was going to be the swing tackle because Nate Solder was going to be the left tackle and, you know, Andrew Thomas was going to be the, the right tackle most likely. So he's been thrust into action. I'm not panicking on this group because I have seen them when they are all on the same page. I've seen them be able to move people. You go back and you look at that fourth and one in Chicago. All right, Joe Judge, Jason decides we're going for it. You know, they knew it on third down. We're in two-down territory, four-down territory. We're going for it. And what did they call on fourth and one? On the one-yard line, the hardest yard to get against an unbelievably tough Bears front. They, they ran 36 power. All right, They pulled Bill, big old Will Hernandez. They got a big double team at the point of attack, and they scored a touchdown with Deion Lewis. Saquon was already out. So when you see that, you say, okay, look, they're building something. They're building identity. I will say this. I'm a little bit frustrated with the guards. To me, their play has been very disappointing. Kevin Zeitler is a veteran, and I've seen him make a, a number of mental errors already. I've seen him get beat by guys he should not be getting beat by. Will Hernandez continues to struggle with the inside pass rush. He he refuses to get his second step underneath him, and he's oversetting on these guys, and he's inviting them inside. I saw Javon Kinlaw throw him on the ground, which should not happen. Will Hernandez is way too big and way too powerful to let anybody throw him around. So there are things that Will Hernandez... Sean, does he look too too heavy to you? Will Hernandez looks bigger to me than two years ago, like quite a bit. You know what? He... It's interesting because I was talking with Dave Gettleman about this, and, and he's actually the same weight that he was last year, but he's actually firmer. And Will Hernandez, when, when he walks down the hallway, like the hallway gets dark. Paul, you've seen him. I mean, the guy, when he stands in a doorway, it looks like <laughs> the door is closed. Like he, he, right. he's a planet. And, you know, my my thing on Will Hernandez, I loved him coming out of college, and, you know, he was in UTEP and watching his highlight film, man, it was like bugs on a windshield. When he pulled, his DBs were bouncing off him left and right, and he'd knock three guys down and look for more. Then they, they bring him to the Giants, and Pat Shermer's got him pass blocking 47 times. And I said, well, what are you doing? This guy's a road grader. Stop. You know, it's like Mike Ayupati when he came out of Idaho years ago. He got drafted by the 49ers, and he was phenomenal. I mean, he was mashing people because they were running the football. They, they were a run-first offense. He goes to Arizona, they're throwing a ball, and he, he, he looks like he doesn't belong in the league. So, you know, Will Hernandez is a run block machine he's still figuring out the pass bro but there are a number of things that i see and it's nick gates it's kevin zeitler and it's will hernandez and they're not passing off twists very well and that's just interior twists and, it, and it's interior blitzes they're just not all meshing yet and part of that's nick gates got to get back on the same level as guards and they got to do a better job of passing all off 
but here's why I'm not panicking on the offensive line because it's not just them. And it, I mean, if you look, if you want, if you want to panic, it's panic is the fact that this offense is not even close to being ready yet. And this is one of the toughest years to install a new offense, to have a new coaching change uh, because you had limited time. You had no off season, basically. You could zoom all you want. You, that's not getting ready to play football. Not having practice, not having OTAs, not having preseason games to get a mesh point with not just your offensive line. Here's what I saw in the Pittsburgh Steelers game. I saw three tight end formations where all they had to do was block the defensive ends and the linebacker stacked behind them. And Huey, Dewey, and Louie couldn't figure it out. You throw three tight ends at the point of attack that don't know what they're doing, it's a hot mess. It, you know, it, it looks like a frat party with no girls. Like, it's just a bunch <laughs> of dudes running into each other. So, I, I, I think... I've never been to one that, of those parties. That, and rightfully so. I think when you when you look at the run game, like there's plenty of blame to go around. So so the Steelers game, my notes when I wrote that down is that offensive line played much better than I thought, especially in the passing passing game. Tight ends were awful. They didn't know who to block, and when they did know who to block, they got ragdolled and, and they looked very inept. So that this run offense of Jason Garrett is predicated on the tight ends being able to block and, and being able to hold up at the point of attack. They're not doing that. So I, I saw some progress. They 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 did much better against Chicago. They the tight ends did. They did better um, this past week against the 49ers. The thing that, that stood out to me against the 49ers were, was the, I thought the wide receivers were awful in their run blocking. Golden Tate, for as veteran as he is and, and for as amount of, the amount of football that he has played, I saw him two or three times come in to dig out a safety. All right, you've got a seven-man front. The offensive line tight ends are responsible for those guys. But the, the safety inserts as the eighth man. That guy is the responsibility of the receiver. He has to come in and dig that safety out and beat him to the punch. Because guess what? You're in the huddle. You know where the play's going. He doesn't. And Golden Tate got beat three times that I saw to the to the hole, to the point of attack by the safety inserting. And you know what? That that's just hit, that that's just you, you got to have a better give a shit meter. Present is tough. You know, I mean, you, you could go on all day and all night talking about problems with this team. I want to go back to some of the better years. And and we've had a, a bunch of guests on. Lawrence Tynes has a great Rolodex. That's an old-fashioned word, right? He's got stuff in his phone, and he's got all these great uh, former teammates come in. And, Sean, all they do is sing Lawrence's praises and say uh, – and say he was not just a kicker. He was one of the guys. He was a tough guy. He was, you know, not a specialist. And look, I know how protective you are of the offensive line. So I know you're not going to say he was one of the guys on the offensive line. So you got to give me the real, the real inside stuff on Lawrence Tynes. He wasn't this one of the guys, not just a kicker, was he? Hey, bus one, bus one was where all the cool guys ride. So I was on bus one. And, and Lawrence, you must have been at the back of that bus. I would guess. I was right? in the back. Though. Yep. I was in the back of the coaches, but I was on there. We 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 had a we had a we had a crew, and, and it was called the back of the bus crew. And Tynes was a part of it. It was a very select crew. It was like uh, a, a secret society, if you will. And not everybody got the pass. You know, there there were a couple coaches back there that earned the back of the bus crew, but it was secret. And um, you know, there was a lot of shenanigans and stories that went on back there. But mostly, it was it was liquids, and and that was that was the key ingredient <laughs> to all of that. So uh, yeah, Tynes. You know, I remember when Tynes came uh, to the Giants. You know, Jay Steely, I believe, was the kicker right before uh, Tynes came here. So I'll just say this: that I'm friends with Jay Steely. I like Jay Steely. Um, there were a lot of people that didn't like Jay Steely. So Tynes coming in, it was like a godsend for a lot of people. They were like, "All right, this guy is ten times better than the, the other guy that we had." Uh, but Tynes just immediately came in 
and was he was immediately accepted just because he came in and number one he wasn't trying to do too much I think Jeff Eagles was was a great part of that group and I think that that times was was great in that he was one of the guys but he also like he, he made a point to come out and and be one of the guys and hang out and not try to talk about himself and not try to you know over inflate anything so we definitely enjoyed all all of our times with him I still have not forgiven times though you know for for leaving us you know basically at the altar in Green Bay um, when he made that clutch field goal. Now, you know, what I told, I think I told times this on the bus ride home. I said, you know, if you missed the third one, you were walking home. But for sure. Yeah, after, I was going to be. After he made. He, he know, was going to be under the, the I, Sean, he was going to be under the bus. No, yeah. there's no yeah. way I would have even gotten on. I would have never have gotten on that bus. I would have stayed in Green Bay, been a groundskeeper or something. Well, here's, here's the thing. You know, look, kickers are tough too. And, you know, I still to this day don't know how Lawrence kicked any of those footballs in Green Bay because I was snapping them to Eli and my, my hand was frozen because I was trying to I was trying to snap this bowling ball to Eli, this frozen bowling ball. By the fourth quarter, the ball was rock solid. So, I mean, imagine kicking a, a weighted medicine ball. That's what it must have felt like. I don't know how he didn't tear his MCL, but to kick any football in that weather was, you know, felt like a punishment, I'm sure. But that kick w- was you know, cemented in my brain to this day when I close my eyes, I can visualize the flight path as it started outside the upright and just slowly curved back in, just like one of Tynes' beautiful draws that he hits out on the golf course that goes a country mile. And as it went through the uprights and we all realized, holy cow, we're going to Super Bowl, and we turned to celebrate with him, the man was gone. He was already halfway down the field. And we couldn't even hug him. We couldn't even warm him up. No and, and, and I was so cold. Up. He was already Listen, on his way to the, to the locker room. I just wanted to get off the field. Speaking of golf, I saw you out with the old captain, Eli. Um, by the way, he, he's kind of went to hell with his etiquette on the course. His shirt was untucked in that picture. How's his golf game? Has he gotten any better? Because I know he used to think he was a good golfer, but he really wasn't. Yeah, you know, it's funny because, as you know, times it's hard to be a good golfer and, and when you're playing in the league. Well, he's you know, retired. You know, he your, can... Yeah, but, like, you know, you put your clubs away in, when you go to training camp in July, so you get, like, three months out of it. So he was a, he was a decent golfer before, but he was, you know, he would spray it. Uh, he would spray it off the tee, but he could always scramble back in. And in typical Eli fashion, he would always find a way to get back into the game in the 17th and 18th hole. He'd have his blow-ups on the front nine, and then somehow in the game of Nassau, like, he's down one with one to play and he smokes a three wood you know to be on the green and two and you're like how did that even happen like Eli's uncanny ability to do that on the football field and the golf course but I'll say this he did well for himself this summer he uh he got he's down to a single I think he's like a five now so uh, his game has has markedly improved. Um, he's a fairway machine right now, and um, you know he's been he's been putting it, putting his, his you know what off. So you know I think that helps that you're out there playing shitty cock and, and national Tabonic you know every other day. So that that definitely helps. But uh, but more importantly, this is fun, Eli. You know it's been it's been great to spend time with him now that he's done. Times you know what it's like once you once you, you shut it down. You know and uh, football players die twice, right? So when you retire. Your football life ends, but the afterlife is even better. And, I, and I, I'm I'm just so happy for him that he, he gets to enjoy all the fruits of his labor over those years. And to be honest with you, I'm just glad that I don't have to see him get his ass kicked every Sunday because he's out there trying to battle and, and find a way to win a game. And you know, I know you and myself and everybody that's played with him and that loves Eli um, has been wearing those L's uh, with him. And, and it's been hard to watch all that stuff. So it's great to see him, you know, struggling out on the golf course as opposed to on the field. But it, it's always good anytime you get a 
chance to, to hang out with one of the guys. And, and like Paul was saying about, about Tynesy being one of the boys, you know, the, the one thing that I probably left out was, you know, in addition to the back of the bus crew, Tynesy was, was, was a big part of the card crew, you know, and, and one of the things that we used to love to do on, on away games was, you know, play some cards and, you know, chew the fat a little bit. So those are the times that you remember the most. You miss the huddle, you miss the locker room, you, you miss the time with the boys, you know, on the road trips and, and on the buses and on the planes and the hotels. Yeah. And when you're Eli Manning, you know, you're retiring, you promote hot sauce and hashtag ad a lot, <laughs> uh, get any kind of advertisement you want. That man has hot sauce settled for life. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure on the bus rides too, we've heard that you enjoyed talking to Lawrence Tyne's mom. Um, as she spoke once about a rubbish Eli Manning rubbish. after a poor performance here in that Scottish accent. I'm curious how many times have you seen the highlight and just, I'm sure you've talked about a lot, but being on the field for, the almighty play to David Tyree and, you know, you were part of the guys blocking for Eli must have been special and it must be crazy kind of goosebump worthy uh, going back and watching it. Well, Jake, it's interesting for you to say I was one of the guys blocking on that play because I'm pretty sure that none of us did any of that. I was being uh, generous. Which, I was being generous. Which, which Sean, I'm still waiting the, uh... for Chris Snee. I'm still waiting for Chris Snee to he looked like he looked like a lost dog on that play, didn't he? <laughs> Yeah, we we called him. We we were calling him Belushi after that play because he was standing there, uh, you know, with nothing to do. And it's funny because I tell people all the time, like next time you see that play, look for look for seventy six, and he touches nobody, and he's just standing there like he doesn't know what to do. Eli claims he almost threw it to Snee at one point because he saw him standing there, and he's like, that that's not a good idea. But yeah, that it wasn't our best blocked play, and, and you know, look, you, you want to talk about feeling like the horses, you know what, you know, we're going down on this drive. We need a touchdown to score. We all need, we all know that. And we all are feeling like we're about to give up a sack in the, in the biggest game of all of our careers. So thankfully, by the grace of God, um, Eli was able to make and break a tackle. I think it's the first tackle he's ever broken in his life. Um, <laughs> but I still don't know how he got out of it. You know, if you watch that play again, Snead didn't block anybody, and I'm pretty sure I'm the only one that's really blocking anybody or attempting to block anybody. Soiber was no help. It was it was a twist game gone bad. You know, I'll never forget when Eli broke out of the grasp of Seymour and I believe it was Jarvis Green. He gave it the old heave oh. And I my, my first thought was, oh no. I <laughs> Me too. I he just he just threw it up. That's it. Like forget about the sack. He just threw it up in the air, right over the middle. It's a Hail Mary ball. Like it's definitely getting picked off. And then Tyree climbed the, the climbed the you know, God's ladder and somehow plucked that ball out of the air. Now what's interesting is, you know, he comes down with it and I'm like, Hey, come on, we gotta go up and run a play. We don't want them to challenge it and I did not know that David Tyree pinned that ball against his helmet with one hand. I didn't know he did that until four o'clock in the morning that night. By the time I got back to my room after celebrating and hanging out with the family and, and the team and everybody back at the team hotel, I get to my room at 4 a.m. I turned on the TV, and that was the first time that I saw the highlight. That was the first time I saw how spectacular the catch was. Like, he didn't catch it with both hands. He, he pinned it against his helmet on his way down, and I immediately started texting, you know, Snee and Storybird and the guys like, holy cow, did you see this? Did you see that he pinned it against his helmet with one hand? Yeah, it was complete chaos. Now, and the crazy thing is, is we still had to score after that. Like, that was an unbelievable play, uh, but I think it gave us a little shot in the arm, a little boost that, you know what, this is happening. You know, thanks to Jay Alford and his sack, we, 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 we sealed the deal. I mean, the first time you saw the highlight, essentially 4 a.m., you were probably hammered uh, after celebrating. So now you had to watch it a few times sober after that. Uh, I remember I was 17. Jake, Jake I'm Irish. I, you know, I, I never get hammered. I just I just get happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Valid point. Um, <laughs> 
I remember I almost broke my hand because I was in a friend's basement and I pumped my fist in the air and I almost broke my hand on that play mm. celebrating. So you remember where you were in those kind of moments and you were there on that offensive line. Sean O'Hara, uh, NFL Network, uh, we see you all the time. You do a terrific job. I mean, you could talk with the best of them. We could talk to you for hours on here. Unfortunately, people's attention spans are too short to listen to a podcast for hours, Sean. But, uh, you know, before we let you go, we'd love for you to talk about your foundation and what you guys are doing. Yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. And, uh, yeah, time flies when you're reminiscing about about the good old days and, and, and taking down, you know, the, the Death Star in the Patriots, um, you know, I think I think it's, it's almost like a double victory when you can talk about it in that context. Thank you for the plug. Uh, the Sean O'Hare Foundation um, is something that I created with my wife in 2009. You know, I've been I became the ambassador of hope for this uh, New Jersey chapter of cystic fibrosis in 2008. And uh, for anybody that is familiar with cystic fibrosis or not familiar with cystic fibrosis, um, it's the number one genetic killer in our country. And that was something that really jumped out at me. You know, it's not something that I knew, and a lot of people don't really understand that, but it is the number one genetic killer in our country, and yet it's considered an orphan disease, uh, meaning that it gets zero federal funding. All of the money that is raised Towards science and research for cystic fibrosis and finding a cure is all raised by private donations and private money. So, you know, when I found out uh, some of those aspects of it, and I met a young boy named Sean Squires, uh, times yeah, I think you've met him uh, a number of times. His dad, Bill Squires, used to work for the Giants and used to run uh, some of our stadium operations. Once I met Sean and found out that he had it, I got involved in it. Um, and then I really created this foundation so that I could do just that, so that I could really spearhead uh, a cause and, and find a way to raise funds to give back to, to CF uh, as well as other life-threatening diseases that affect children. I've always had a soft spot in my heart for kids, um, and, and this was a great way to find a way to give back. And, and one of our biggest events every year is, is a golf outing that we have, and, and Tynesy's been generous enough to, to attend a, a few of those and you know come in even when he was living in Kansas to come out here and, and participate in it and it's been it's been great to, to give back to these kids and these families that, that go through so much and and for some of these kids just to give you a quick picture into their life some of them take 50 to 60 pills in the morning before they even go to school they have to get up and take do 45 minutes to an hour of respiratory therapy, which is wearing a vest that is like a percussion vest that pounds on their chest to break up this mucus that, that collects in their lungs. Cystic fibrosis attacks their digestive system and their and their lungs, and so it's a daily struggle for the for these kids and for these moms and these families uh, to to stay afloat with a lot of this stuff. So uh, the good news is that science is winning. Um, they came out with a, a drug called Kalidico just two couple years ago, and it has increased lung function in, in a number of of these cases, and it's really dramatically impacted the lives of so many of these, these kids battling CF. So it's been great. It's been, um, this year was obviously a tough year for, for a lot of reasons, uh, but it's been great to, to see the impact on these kids and see these young kids growing up to go to high school and go on to college. Well, Sean, we love what you're doing with the foundation. And if you want to donate or learn more, you can go to seanoharafoundation.org. We love you here in New York. We love you on NFL Network for all the kind words you shared about Tynesy. He'll be sending you that Venmo payment later That's on right. tonight. Tell him, hey, you can save the Venmo. I want to give me the wheels up hours. <laughs> <laughs> ah, <here we> <laughs> you guys can discuss that at a later date. Um, Sean, we, uh, you know, we'll be watching you all year NFL network and hopefully this Giants O-line could uh, reach the level of what you guys did uh, for the Giants back in the day. Uh, thanks for coming on Blue Rush. Thanks, Sean. All right. Thanks, fellas. Appreciate it. That seals episode 40, the Joe Morrison edition of Blue Rush. 
our New York Giants podcast from the New York Post. Thanks to Jake Brown and Alex Camerata for producing the show. Give Blue Rush a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and write in a nice review. We appreciate your support and feedback. For Paul Schwartz, I'm Lawrence Tynes. We'll be back on Monday following the Giants-Rams game. Talk to you all then and stay safe.